Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read from verses 35 to 40, uh, to chapter 10, verse 4, in just a moment. I am grateful to you for your flexibility in being down here again. This is week two of what will be, Lord willing, no more than six weeks that we'll be worshiping down here. So um, thank you for your patience with that. Our meeting this afternoon, we sent the agenda to you. Uh, there'll be printed copies here, but we're going to talk about membership issues. We're going to talk about our spending plan for next year. We're going to talk about the expansion project. We're going to talk about the deacon of hospitality. So on the agenda is the body, the building, the budget, and Brad. So that's how that's going to go uh, today. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. When he was 19 years old, Alfred Mendez enlisted in the British Army in January of 1916. He was sent to France, and there he trained to be a signaler. A signaler's job was to uh, be on the front lines with the fighting men and to relay signals back to the command post and receive signals, receive orders. And often their job involved laying telephone wire. Um, some of you don't know what that is, but you used to have to have a wire out of your phone. But he used to lay telephone wire across battlefields. It was a dangerous position to have. On, on October 12, 1917, the British Army, uh, the hundred, a few hundred men in uh, Mendez's unit, made an attack on a Belgian village, Polkapel. It was an important uh, crossing point for traffic, and the British wanted to recapture it from the Germans. The problem with the battle was it was a difficult battle, and it was made worse by rain, terrible rain, torrential rain on the day of battle. Uh, at the end of the first day of fighting, 158 of 484 men in Mendez's unit were either killed or missing in action. And some of them, they were certain of it, some of them were out in no man's land, trapped in mud-filled foxholes and water-filled uh, divots in the, the field. So the commander said to the unit, gathered them together and said, I need a volunteer. I need somebody to go out into the battlefield and try to find some of these men so that we can rescue them. Is there anyone who will go? And Mendez volunteered. It was a suicide mission. Why would you voluntarily go out into a battlefield where there were snipers? Why would you do that to go out and find these men who knew how many there were and where they were? 
Well, Mendez went, and he ended up rescuing dozens of soldiers that day. And uh, in time, he won the Military Medal for Bravery for, that, for his ac- actions on that day. It was honored in another way, his bravery, when his grandson, Sam Mendez, uh, t- took his father's story and based a movie on it, the 19, uh, 2017 film 1917. Look what Sam Mendez said about his grandfather and this movie. I had a story that was a fragment told to be by my grandfather who fought in the First World War. It's the story of a messenger who has a message to carry. It's a good phrase. It's a good sentence that I want you to keep in mind as we come to this next section of the Gospel of Matthew. A messenger with a message to carry. Followers of Jesus are messengers who have a message from him to carry. We take the good news about the Lord Jesus into the hostile territory that is this world. It's part of our identity, and the key question related to that then is, how do you survive? Here's who you are. You are a messenger with a message to carry into hostile territory. How are you going to survive? That's Jesus' concern as we come to this section of the Gospel of Matthew. Remember that Matthew, the author, was a tax collector, and he kept his ledgers in order, and he keeps his gospel in order, too. Uh, uh, He begins with those first few chapters about the birth of Jesus, and then he ends his gospel with the story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. In between, though, he organizes his account with uh, sermons, five sermons that he records and the sermons have themes and between the sermons there are miracle accounts um, uh, Jesus healing people and often the sermons and their themes as reflected are reflected in the miracles that, that occur so we we went through the sermon on the mount a few weeks ago the biggest and longest one in the gospel of Matthew and the the theme or one of the key themes in the sermon on the mount is authority Jesus has the right to speak for God. He comes in God's name to speak for God. And then the the miracle accounts that follow that, those 10 miracles that we looked at, all have to do with Jesus' authority. He has authority over nature. He has authority over disease. He has authority over demons. He has authority over death. Jesus has authority. Now we move from the Sermon on the Mount to the Sermon on Mission. And that takes up most of chapter 10, the Sermon on Mission. The disciples are sent out to serve. And we listen in, and uh, there's some differences and some similarities, but we are commissioned people too. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a message to carry into hostile territory. How are you going to survive? What I want to show you this morning from that passage that we just read is some of the key values that are meant to shape us as we're sent. This is how Jesus' people are intended to serve. This is how he wants us to carry this message. And I want to show you four values that arise from this passage this morning. The first one is the compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. Verse 36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here's our motive for serving. Jesus has compassion. It's modeled for us here. And then we take it up as our own. 
Immediately we begin to ask ourselves, how do you see the people around you? How do you think about them? How do you evaluate them? What do you think about the people that God has brought into your life? This word compassion means a sympathy, pity, kindness. Jesus was moved to help those in need. This is a unique word in the gospel. It's applied to Jesus and actually Jesus alone. This is how he sees broken people. It's part of his goodness, an aspect of the goodness of the Lord Jesus. He has compassion. He responds with pity and kindness to those who are harassed and helpless. The text actually makes this connection, doesn't it? It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Almost as if Jesus is moved in particular by their being harassed and helpless. As if he has a special place in his heart for harassed and helpless people. They particularly draw him in. This doesn't surprise you, does it? I mean, we read the stories of, of the gospel, in the Gospels of Jesus and the encounters that he had with people. Is there anyone that the Lord Jesus turned away? Is there anyone to whom he said, your faith is not strong enough, your confidence in me is not strong enough, you didn't ask well enough? Is there anybody that the Lord Jesus turned away? He did not turn away people. Um, he, he helped them regardless of their ability to respond to him. Some people disobeyed. Some never gave thanks to him. Some people were, were guilty and that their lives were broken because of their own choices. And, and he did not turn from them. He was compassionate and good to the man who betrayed him. These, uh, what we have in the pages of the Gospel of Matthew are accounts of people who were broken and had no one to help them. And the Lord Jesus, though, he came, he helped the compassion of Jesus. You can see this in the things that he said, the words he said about himself and why he came. Matthew eight thirteen. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the sick who need a physician. Or it's not the healthy who need a physician. It's the sick. And I have come for sick people. Or Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest. If you're weary, if you're a sinner, you are right in the sweet spot of the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Then Matthew twelve twenty says this about him applying one of the Old Testament prophecies to the Lord Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Who has a use for a bruised reed? There's hardly any uses for whole reeds. You might be able to take a, a reed, a, a stalk of grass, and use it as a pen to, to write. Maybe you could use it for that. But if, it, if somebody hits it and it gets bent over, it's, it's, worse, it's worse than worthless, except to the Lord Jesus. You blow out a candle... It's no longer putting out its beautiful aroma. It's no longer providing any light. Maybe it has a wisp of smoke that comes out of it. And some of you are, are cruel enough that you lick your fingers and put out even that wisp of smoke. Actually, it's probably good safety in your house. So I said cruel. It's probably good safety. But the Lord Jesus doesn't do that with people. He's, he's compassionate. This follows on, of course, uh, uh, um, 
weeks of ministry. Verse 35 of Matthew 9 tells us that he's just been throughout all the towns and all the villages teaching in their synagogues. Um, We have uh, records, uh, astounding records of what it was like in Galilee in Jesus' day. There were 204 cities and villages in Galilee, and each of them had at least 15,000 people in it, which means three to four million people. It would take Jesus about four months to visit all of these 204 cities and villages, and he would be encountering three and a half to four million people. After four months of that, I'm not sure that I would be feeling much compassion. I think I'd be feeling the great need for some alone time. Is this how you see people? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Don Carson tells about uh, one of his early ministry experiences. He was involved in church planning in Ottawa. Canada was, in particular at that point in time, hard ground, and he was laboring intensively to plant this church on the western side of the city of Ottawa. Uh, Particularly busy, particularly difficult, and his ministry partner and supervisor, a man by the name of Ken Hall, said to him, Don, we've been working really hard. Let's take tomorrow afternoon off. We're going to go up to this lake, and he named the lake. It's 40 miles north of Ottawa, and uh, it's a beautiful, pristine, natural setting, and Don Carson was very excited about this. He needed it. He deserved the afternoon off. He thought about it. He'd been to this lake. It's a calm place. It's a quiet place. Not many people know about it. Uh, There's a raft that someone put that's out in the middle of the lake, and you can swim out to it. And he pictured himself on that afternoon swimming out, climbing on the raft, and just laying there in the warm sun and relaxing. When they drove up there, the 40 miles, to his horror, they found that the beach around this lake was surrounded by hundreds of teenagers. They're celebrating a graduation party. And uh, they had brought with them the speakers, their loud music. Don Carson said he was sure that they had to close windows in Ottawa 40 miles away because of how loud this music was. They were drinking. They were smoking. They were wearing bathing suits that made it apparent they were not outside for the fitness aspect of it. And he got mad He got mad because they had taken away his respite and because of what they were, self-righteousness rose in his mind and he he had composed a speech in his head about the horrors of rock music and alcohol and cigarettes and bathing suits and he was just about to let go on it and turned to his friend Ken to, to let it go and Ken had this far off look in his eyes and before Don could speak, Ken said, high school kids, what a mission field. Mm. What do you see? What do you see when you look at people? Jesus, he's not ignorant about their sins and their failings. He knows that, that these people are broken in large part due to their own choices. And, and he looks at them with compassion. This phrase uh, that, that follows here, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, there, we, we could spend a long time in this phrase. It's, it's rich. Uh, it's instructive in how it connects to the rest of the Bible. And it's instructive in how it helps us to think about our situation, the one that we are in uh, today. Let's think first about what it means. They were harassed and helpless or um, 
torn and thrown down, more literally. If you were talking about a flock of sheep, those are the words you would use. That is a torn and thrown down flock of sheep. Exactly what you expect with sheep without a shepherd. They'd be ill-fed and ill-watered. Sheep are not foraging animals. You've got to put the food in front of their face or they'll starve to death. So they're ill-fed, they're ill-watered, uh, they have bite marks on them from predators, wild-eyed because there's no one to protect them and predators keep picking people off. They have no one to protect them. They are bullied and abused and unable to defend themselves. They're harassed and helpless. And this is how Jesus sees them. They're like sheep without a shepherd, except, except this group of people that Jesus is looking at, they do have shepherds. They do have political and spiritual leaders. The problem is they're bad shepherds and not good shepherds. Their leaders, political leaders, spiritual leaders are not good shepherds. They're bullies who harass them. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel spoke about this. He talked about leaders who are bullies and not good shepherds. Look at Ezekiel 34. He's speaking, the, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to the kings and priests in Israel. And he says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. You are bad shepherds. Your sheep are harassed and helpless. And then notice what God says about himself in Ezekiel 34 and 11 to 12. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will, will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so, I, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. God says, you human shepherds are terrible. You take care of yourselves and don't care for the sheep. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I will come. I will come and shepherd my people. I will take care of them. Now, Matthew picks up on this image in several different ways in his book. Here's just one of them. He quotes from Micah chapter 5. In, in the beginning of his book, Matthew, when he's talking about Jesus, he says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling what the prophet said. And, but look at the passage from Micah that Matthew quotes, alluding to this. He tells us what kind of person is going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That's what Matthew quotes. Here's the rest of the passage. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He, this one who is going to come, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. There are harassed and helpless people and Jesus has come to be their shepherd. 
and he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. You might read this passage and think about your own life or about what you have seen with your eyes in the lives of others. There are many harassed and helpless people in the world today. We might not think in terms of kings and priests like the prophet Ezekiel did uh, or teachers and scribes like in Jesus' day, but we can think in terms of pastors who are bad shepherds, politicians who harass and bully the people in their care, parents, husbands, teachers. In every position of authority, there are those who bully and abuse and leave people under their charge harassed and helpless. Just think, we have a lot of, we have a a few um, uh, families in our church involved in the foster care system in Lancaster County. There are children in Lancaster County who are harassed and helpless and have been the victims of broken parenting. Either overwhelmed parents or um, malicious parents. And, and, And these families have taken in these harassed and helpless children and they come into our nursery and our children's classes so that we, by the grace of God, might show Jesus' compassion to them. Because there's harassed and helpless children in the world. We, it looks like we are at the end of the 2020 election. I know there's recounts and there's lawsuits and things will will go on. Up 50% about, almost, of our citizens voted for one side and 50%, just a little bit more, voted for the other. Um, You know, there are fellow citizens that we have who through this political process just feel harassed and helpless. The vitriol in our politics isn't anything new, but we have social media which makes it louder and more ever-present. There are people around you who just feel harassed and helpless through this process. Just think of the poor citizens of the state of Georgia. They've got another election coming in January. Have a holly jolly Christmas and $300 million worth of political ads. Here they are. Harassed and helpless. Some of those harassed and helpless are our fellow believers is, is it within us, brothers and sisters, to sneer at them or to be snide with them or to tell them they're wrong to be discouraged or right to be relieved or wrong to be relieved or harassed and helpless? We can understand when we read this passage why in the church, why sometimes we struggle to befriend and to love one another. There are people, here we are, we're a group assembled in the name and under the authority of the Lord Jesus. And we come in various states of being harassed and helpless. And there's pain and tenderness and self-protective aggression sometimes in a congregation. Is it any wonder that the apostles tell us repeatedly, love one another, love one another, love one another? Why does he say why do they say that over and over and over again? Because it's so hard sometimes. Broken people, namely all of us, 
Broken people have ragged edges that are sometimes sharp, harassed and helpless. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but notice Jesus, part of Jesus' solution to this problem of harassed and helpless uh, crowds is that he sends his 12 into the world to help them, to take care of them. Jesus sees harassed and helpless people in the world. And what does he do? He sends his people. He sends his people into the world to shepherd and to care. So first Peter, Peter writes, you elders, you are shepherding the flock of God that is among you because there's harassed and helpless people in the world. And we go with a message to carry with the compassion of Jesus. Now, we'll pick up the pace a little bit. Values that shape us as we go into hostile territory. The compassion of Jesus, number two, prayer, prayer. Jesus commands prayer. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field. Now, does that surprise you? Jesus does not say, there's harassed and helpless people in the world. Somebody please start a soup kitchen. Somebody please start a homeless shelter. Somebody please start a Bible study, a counseling ministry. Somebody please. Now, all those things are good and useful, and, and followers of Jesus have been starting those things for generations. But he says, first of all, pray, pray, pray. He moves, pray for workers to go into the field. He moves from the flock to the field. It's harvest season. There's a lot of... Uh, 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 crops that are ready. There are people that are ripe to hear the good news about Jesus. We need more workers. It's harvest season in Lancaster County, right? Tobacco's in. We're getting the corn in and the soybeans. Do you know any farmer who, when his corn is ready, has enough workers to go into the field and get it? Every farmer you know scrambles for people for bodies to send into the field. And Jesus sees the field, and it's ready. It, there's ripe, it's ripe for harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray that the Lord of harvest will send workers in. Now, I think when he says uh, Lord of the harvest, I think he's referring to himself. He's the Lord of the harvest, and he is asking us to ask him. He's commanding us to ask him to send out workers into his harvest, the realm over which he is sovereign. Some of you have been a part of our church for a long time. We at various times have prayed fervently that God would do gospel work on the campus of Millersville University. Has it ever occurred to you that God answered our prayer by sending Dan and Lisa Divini to us? Or think about this, perhaps in response to in part the work of Mike and Jenny Guy in Papua New Guinea helping missionaries there. Uh, we've prayed for uh, tribes in Papua New Guinea, and God, the Lord of the harvest, has answered by uh, sending Mike and Lauren Shibley over there to reach an unreached people group. This word send is interesting. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send. That word is not gentle. Uh, it means throw. This is the word that is used to describe casting demons out of demon-possessed people. Throw them out. Lord of the harvest goes into his barn where he keeps his people, and he chucks a few of them out into the field. 
Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe not. 5.30 in the morning in the fall, you're laying in your nice warm bed and a knock at the door. It's your father. He says, the corn is ready. Get out of bed. Get in the field. Let's go. And he chucks you out into the field. God picked up Dan and Lisa and he chucked them out into the field, into Millersville, because we asked him to. And he answered us. Prayer. Who's next? Who's next that God's going to pick up and throw into his field? Thankfully, he's a little bit more gentle than these words would imply. But who's next? Where are you praying that God would send someone next? Prayer. Let's move on. Number three, the empowerment of Jesus. The empowerment of Jesus. In verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and the text says, he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, he gives them authority, uh, power, and it says, so to heal every disease and sickness, this is the exact same phrase that describes Jesus' work up in chapter 30, uh, verse 35. At the end of verse 35 of chapter 9, healing every disease and sickness And then he gives the disciples power, verse 1 of chapter 10, to heal every disease and sickness. Same language. They go to do what Jesus has done. Now, some people take this as a mandate for us and as if our work of carrying the message of Jesus must necessarily involve this same sort of miraculous power. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. But remember, there are differences between Jesus speaking here in chapter 10 to his disciples and what he commissions us to do as the book of Matthew unfolds. It's almost as if here in Matthew 10, we are uh, listening in as Jesus is speaking chiefly to his disciples. But by the time we get to the end of the gospel of Matthew, we're kind of with his disciples, listening along to Jesus as one of his disciples. And I want to compare Matthew 10, 1 with the end, Matthew 28, this passage that we look at an awful lot. Then Jesus said to, came to them, the disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So the same issue of authority is there. Authority is the issue. What does he tell them to do? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That's the difference in emphasis in chapter 10, verse 1, versus chapter 28. The difference in emphasis of ministry. Perhaps we can connect this to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about the apostles. In Matthew 10, 1, he's speaking to the apostles and he gives them this authority. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about what apostles do. What do apostles do to verify that they are apostles? I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. What are the marks of a true apostle? Including signs, wonders, and miracles. So I don't take verse 1 of chapter 10 as a mandate for us to be doing these same miraculous things. But what I do note is that all of us are dependent on the empowering work of the Lord Jesus to do what he has commanded us to do. 
you could talk about this under a number of headings. We could go to Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 and talk about spiritual gifts. There are men and women in our church who have gifts of service and mercy and uh, leadership and giving and teaching that are Holy Spirit-given abilities to serve. Or, I, I am drawn to this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Look what the Apostle Paul says. For I am the least of all of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Can you believe Paul says, God let me into this group? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I, I always, and that's all that I am comes next. But I, that's not in the text. So, but Popeye, anyway. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. The grace of God within me at work. The grace of God. Uh, one of the most uh, well-shared Super Bowl commercials took place a few years ago. And it featured a little boy dressed like Darth Vader. Who, in the commercial, all day went around his house trying to use the force like Darth Vader does to move objects in his home. To get his dog to move off the dog bed and the dog just stared at him. The kid failed all day. He tried to move his sister's doll from her bed and it would not move. He was discouraged and then his dad got home in his new Volkswagen. The little boy went outside in his Darth Vader costume and he, he uh, motioned at the car as if he could move the car. And his dad at that moment was watching from the kitchen and he pulled out his remote and he hit the automatic start button on his remote. And when the boy went like this, the car <clears throat> roared to life. And he was thrilled. Look what I did. <laughs> Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. How do you know, how do you know if you are serving with your own strength and ingenuity or if you're serving with Holy Spirit, Jesus-given power? It's a good question. You can recognize this. I think one way that you can recognize this is what happens when you come to the end of yourself. Everybody has this experience at some point in time. You should not live in the neighborhood of the end of yourself, but everybody tours it at least some point in time. If, if, you, if you are parenting little children, if you're caring for someone with your house with a chronic illness, you get to the end of yourself often. What do you do when you're at that point where you have no more energy, no more ideas, no more strength, no more compassion? What you do, you turn to God and you say, help me, help me, please. And you step out in faith. And when you serve at that moment, you know, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The empowerment of Jesus. Now, finally here, these values that shape us in hostile territory, the apostles' message, the apostles' message. We proclaim the message we carry is a message that is apostolic in origin. There's 12 men listed here in verses 2 through 4. They're listed in pairs. Jesus is about to send them out. He's going to send them out in groups of two. And they're going to go out in these pairs. And what's unique about these, or uh, surprising about these men, is that they're very ordinary. They're very ordinary men about whom we know very little. 
We have some legends. We have some traditions. We have a little bit of history. But even Peter, who's first, and he's always listed first, Peter, who's first, uh, disappears from biblical history in the middle of the book of Acts. Ephesians 2 tells us that these men are the foundation of the church. Jesus is the cornerstone. These men are the foundation. In what sense? They're the foundation in the sense that what we preach, what we proclaim, comes from their Holy Spirit-inspired letters and their Holy Spirit-inspired books about the Lord Jesus. We take their message that they got from the Lord Jesus, and that's what we proclaim. That's what we speak. This is an old story that comes from these men, and this is the message we proclaim. So here they are, these four benchmarks. Before Jesus gets into his specific instructions of the sermon on the mission, on mission, here's where we start with these four things. Take these four for a moment, and I want you to think about how, if you were to, to lay them across your life, how you might measure up. Some of you, I'm grateful for you, some of you ooze the compassion of Jesus. Just comes out of you. Some of you are more masters of the apostles' message. Some of you are diligent and faithful in prayer. How, how, do, you, how do you measure up? Where's your strengths, where's your weaknesses on this list of four? Picture this here, as Jesus is about to do this in chapter 10, he gathers his men in, huddles them together, he says, all right, guys, here's the plan, here's the play, I'm telling you what we're going to do. Here are the four things that are, are essential for us as we go. And he lays it out for them, they say, they take their position, and Jesus says, hut, hut. And when he says hike, the team moves. Brothers and sisters, here are the benchmarks. Let's move. Pray with me, won't you? Father, there is much in these paragraphs for us to give thanks to you for. We are thankful today as we spent most of our time thinking about Jesus' compassion because we feel harassed and helpless at times and how grateful we are to you for the compassionate Lord Jesus who is the good shepherd who laid his life down for, our, for his sheep. And so we are thankful to you as we come. Lord, uh, we confess to you that we often are not compassionate toward harried and helpless people around us. We are judgmental and angry and exclusivistic and impatient. So clearly we need the empowering work of the Lord Jesus. How thankful we are to you for it. Help us this week when we come to the end of ourselves to recognize your empowering work so that we can be faithful messengers into the hostile territory into which you send us. We pray these things together in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, Amen.